Welcome to the C3V podcast. I'm doing a little series I started last week called Heart for the House. And our main text has been from 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 10 to 12 in the message. And it goes like this. It says, so here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started and not let, let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart, it's been in the right place all along. And you've got what it takes to finish up, so go to it. And once the commitment is clear, you do what you can and not what you can't. And here's our main bit. Because the heart regulates the hands. The heart regulates the hands. And, I, and last week we began just kind of recapping that it's been, it's been a rough few years for a lot of folk. And especially in the church. And I, and I don't think there's been any greater time in world history where there's been such a sense of division. That division was just everywhere. Everywhere you went, everything was trying to divide. And then division led to isolation. And isolation for certain pe- uh, car- car- you know, per- personality types is the worst place that they can be. Alone is where we tend to make our worst decisions. But the opposite of isolation is community, and community is the church. Because we're meant to be together. We're better together. We looked briefly at the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, which is his longest recorded prayer. And the whole whole theme through that prayer is this. God, I pray that they would be together. God, I just pray that they would be one. God, I pray that there would be unity amongst your people. It's almost like he knew what was coming up, that there'd be all these splits and pulling, but he just said, God, if you could just give them a heart for my house, if you can just bring them in together, if they can just be united, there is nothing that they cannot do. And I think we're coming into a season where it's a call, a call to come home, a call for those that are lost, for those that are wandering, that those are out, that those have been Uh, affected by division, that those have found themselves in isolation, it's a call right now to come home. It's the great return because his house is a house of redemption. And redemption always wins. There's nothing that you can do that outweighs what redemption can trump. That when you come into his house, it's redemption that wins. And that the kingdom, that his house, allows people the space and the room to change his mind. When John the Baptist was out there saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here, repent literally means change your mind because the kingdom of God is here. You were going this way, but now in his house is time that you can change your mind. You can say, oh, you know what? I did get off track. I did go the wrong way. I did go down the wrong path. But the power and the presence of God helped me change my mind, and redemption always wins. So when it would look like I was out here and everyone was saying, well, you've blown it and you've gone too far and you've done too much, I can come back into his house and say, God, and redemption wins. Because God doesn't recycle, he redeems. God doesn't take you from your primary purpose and say, well, you blew that up now, so now I've got to work out what I can do with you. God said, no, that was your calling and it's still your calling. That was your purpose and it's still your purpose. You're out here, but come back to my house, 
return unto me, find your first love again, and redemption will win. Because this house needs to be a house of revelation, not just a place of information. It needs revelation. It needs you. It's not just my words that are going to help. It's you in the presence of God and God going, yeah, here's, here's my redemption. You feel, here's my redemption. Because the church, it's not just a building. His house is the people of God bound together by their relationship with Jesus. It's imperfect people serving a perfect God. And our call has always been to be the church, to love the church, to serve the church, and to care for the church. And newsflash, you're the church. So it's been a rough few years, but it's time now for us to pick principles over preferences. Now... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We've got to pick principles over preference. My preference is to sit at home and have a coffee and put my feet up and watch online. My principle is that I want to meet in the house of God because that's where he said I should be. And it's awkward and it's hard and I'm going to drive through torrential rain and, you know, get the canoes out or the snowshoes or the husky dogs, whatever it's going to take. I'm going to do it because my principle trumps my preference. And it's not a requirement. I'm not talking about requirements. Because there's been so much in the church of late where requirements have been put on people that have weighed them down. And that's not what I'm talking about. I don't don't require you to be here. But there's a principle that says don't forsake meeting together. And if I pick that, well then I'm in the will of God. So we looked at because, because, because the heart regulates the hands. Where my heart's at is what I'll find my hands are doing. What my heart is aligned with is what my hands will be doing. What I'm aligned, whatever my heart's aligned with is actually what will come out of my mouth. My actions, where my heart is, my actions will follow. It can't be one or the other. And we look through scripture where it's like every, almost every single reference of the heart in scripture has to do with one of our personality traits. And this is what I find. Getting hurt's the easy part. It's getting over it that's tough. Getting hurt's super easy. But saying, you know what, I'm putting it aside. I'm getting over it. I wish the church wrote, let it go. Unfortunately, it was Disney and it's princesses. But apply it. Let's sing that one in song, in church. Just let it go. There's some things where we've just got to let go and we've got to let principle trump preference. This is just, I'm recapping. You should have been here last week. <laughs> anyway, what else did I have? You can think that you're so broken that the promises no longer apply to you. But God brings us out of places of brokenness and places, places us in the midst of his promise. Romans 5 said this, God's love poured into our hearts. Into a broken, lonely, hurting disheartened, confused, ashamed, isolated, heartbroken generation, God's love can pour into our hearts because the heart regulates 
the hand. Matthew 12, 34 said it like this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I just touched on it before, but when our hearts are right, our thoughts and our words and our actions will follow. But what am I talking about? Am I talking out of a hurt and bitter heart? Because out of that, that is what my mouth would speak. And maybe you were hurt, maybe by a, a family member long ago, or maybe by a spouse, or maybe you're hurt on the way here in the car, because sometimes <laughs> those trips are brutal. Maybe it was long ago, or maybe it was just now. But wherever it is, out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And God wants us to get our heart right. If we can get our heart right, everything else flows out of that. If the heart's right, the actions are right. If the heart's right, the words are right. If the heart's right, the motives are right. If the heart's right, the intentions are right. It's, it's all based around the heart because the heart regulates the hands. You know, there's a medical procedure that they use called cardiovertism, where they use electricity or chemicals to, to activate the heart and return it back to its normal rhythm. And I think that's what happens when we get hurt, when we get out of alignment. Our heart gets out of sync with the heartbeat of God. It gets irregular. Sometimes it's great and it's beating far, and God I'm connected to, but then it slowly gets irregular and you're over here and you're going, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm saying right now. But if we can regulate the heart, and sometimes the only way they can do that is they have to completely stop the heart and reset it. And for some of us, I think that's where we need to get. We need to go, God, I just need a total heart reset. Just come and reset my heart. Get it back to the consistent, you know, to get it back to the regular. Re regulate is just the constant, steady beat of the heart. God, let me get my heart regulating in a constant steady beat. Sometimes I think if we could just get our growth just like this, it's awesome. But sometimes we think, oh, we've got to go, we've got to go straight to the mountaintop. <laughs> the thing about mountaintops is you can't live there. No one, the people don't live on the top of mountaintops. You climb to a mountaintop and then you've got to come back down because the air is different, whatever. But if we can keep that constant, regular, steady beat of God, you know, uh, the Bible calls it the unforced rhythms. I'm like, let me get my heart where it's in an unforced rhythm with the heartbeat of God. Where I don't have to force it, where it just, just me being me is in step with the heartbeat of God. That as I move out and as I give and as I serve and as I see the hurting, I know that it's the heartbeat of God. You see, we always chase after the will of God. God, let me know your will. But this is what I've found, is when you know the ways of God, you're always in the will of God. And the ways of God is serving. The ways of God is giving. The ways of God are helping the hurting. And if I do that, I'm in the rhythms of his heartbeat, that the heart regulates the hands. So this morning, I want to just look at, uh, in 1 Kings 19.19, 19, very easy to remember that one. 1 Kings 19.19. And it's the call of Elisha. And we've kind of, we've kind of touched on this a few, few times this year. But, but Elijah finds himself in a cave. 
and God comes and says, what are you doing here? Now, <laughs> I think for the sea season we've, we've come out of, maybe that's how people in isolation have found themselves. And God has come to them and said, hey, what are you, what are you doing here? Here's not the right place for you. Now he says, come out, come out. It's basically getting the near, the, near the end of Elijah's life. And God says to Elijah, right, I want you to do a couple of things. Uh, you've got to anoint uh, this guy king and that guy king. And also, you've got to go down and find um, Elisha and anoint him as your successor. Now, this is, this is what I love most about this story, is that there's no mention of Elisha before this. <laughs> but Elisha's a, a, Elisha's a fully grown man. Right? It's not the little boy. Go and anoint the little boy. Elisha's the man. Now, so there's no, there's no reference to Elisha. Elisha hadn't been in this great like stage of glory and it was the obvious choice. But God knew where Elisha was. And God said to Elijah, I want you to go here and anoint him because God knew that he would be here. And sometimes I think that we get so caught up in there that we miss what God wants to do here. But God knew that Elisha would be here. He knew that he wouldn't be there. But we can be here and we can be obsessed with over there. Oh, they're over there, and they're doing this. But God's called you here. But over there, it's got all my attention. Over there, oh, they're seeing miracles. But God's called you here. Over there, they're getting great moves of the Spirit. Yeah, but God's called you here. And when we focus so much on there, we can miss what's being said here. And so we say, oh, over there, they're serving the community. They're changing the world. They've got ministries worldwide. What have we got? But God's called you here. And when we're looking there, we miss words like when we go and give our gift at the mercy tree and they say, you're an indispensable part of the life of this facility. You can miss that because you're focused on over there. But God hasn't called you over there. He's called you over here. And so, Eli so God says to Elijah, you can go here because I know that he's here. He's not trying to be over there. But God's called him to be the next generation prophet. He's called him to have a dramatic impact on the whole world over, over here, over there. But right now, he's meant to be over here. And Elijah turns up and he finds Elisha Plowing the ground. He's got his hand to the plow. He's getting dirty in the family business. He's out here planting and sowing and reaping in the place where he's called, which is here. Not saying, I can't be here because God's calling me there. It's like, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm a big deal around here because God's calling me over there. But then you become useless for here because you're trying to live over there. But this is a really important thing that you only learn once, that you can only be in one spot at the time. I can't be here and live over there. And I can't be over there and live over here. I've got to pick. And, but God's called me to here, so God, I, I acknowledge over there, 
but I'm going to stay here. And while I'm here, while I'm here, I'm going to have a heart for here. Because it says that Elijah had 12 oxen. That means that the family was rich, which means they probably had plenty of servants, which means he probably didn't have to be in the field doing the hard work. But Elijah, but Elijah said, no, I have a heart for here. And while you're calling for me to here, and while, you're making, and while I'm here, I'm going to do all that I can here. But in, in essence, it's preparing me for there. So I'm going to stay here, not there. Because if he was trying to be over there, and Elisha came here, he wouldn't be here, he would be over there. And God's not calling him over there, God's calling him here. Right? <laughs> here or there? So he's here, so he's there. No, he's here. Now I'm getting myself confused. And he's sowing over here, and he's faithfully planning, and he's getting his hands dirty over here. Now, just because you're here doesn't mean you don't do anything for there. Because the Bible says that you need to be prepared in season and out of season. So you can be here and preparing for there, but don't be there when you're meant to be here. Have a heart for here. Have a heart for here. Now, there's a really exciting uh, next part is this that when, it's so tricky, going here and there, and Elisha and Elijah, like, I really made it easy for myself here this morning, didn't I? <laughs> Holy moly. So when Elijah comes to Elisha, and says, and throws his coat on him, and says, okay, I found you here, and now, we're going there, Elisha said this, let me, just go and say goodbye to my family. Let me go. And it says that he took the plough and took the oxen and burnt them and the family ate together. Okay, go over the thought. When you have a heart for here, your family celebrates when you get called there. See, some people think, I can't be here because I'm meant to be there. And when, and when you finally make it there, everyone just says, I'm glad he's gone. You're no good for nothing, that guy. I'm glad he's over there now, and we're all staying here. But when you're faithful to here, and when you have a heart for here, and then you get called to there, your family comes around you and celebrates that you're moving on to there. They say, come on, we're with you. This is exciting. This is a journey. We always knew you were meant to be there, but we're so thankful that you were here. Because your heart for here has sown so many seeds that we will reap a harvest when you're there and you're not even here anymore. Because of what you're planted, when you had a heart for here, we will reap the benefits as you move on to your there. <laughs> so then the story jumps to two kings. Two kings two. You know, it goes on from that story. They fight it out with some kings and some people. And two kings, two, two. And it says this. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elisha said to Elijah, 
Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, for as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. There's a little, there's a little story here. But here's the thing. When he got to there, he didn't then do it alone. When he got to there, he still walked under someone. He still learnt from someone. He said, yeah, this is my there and I'm going on to great things. But even though I've been here and now I feel like I'm there, you're still not fully there. (laughs) You're sort of there. But there's still a walk and a journey to get you fully to there. And he comes along and it's funny that he says, I will not leave you. Three times, actually, Elijah says, look, just stop. Just, you know, you don't need to do this. But three times, Elisha says, no. It's, if you're going, I'm going. It's like, I'm, I'm going to follow you as far as you go. And it's funny because when you read through the scripture, you know, and Elijah before that in a cave and all the things, his greatest pain was that he always felt like he was alone. That he was the one out there doing all the hard stuff and no one was with him. And I think what a, what a treat it is for the next generation to come up under those that have already paved a path and say, no, as far as you walk, we're now walking together. You can't, you almost, you can't get rid of me anymore. No matter where you go, I'm with you. As long as you live, I'm walking with you. I'm learning from you. I'm appreciating what you did. I'm saying, but I'm saying I'm here with you now for the rest of the journey. Here I am. Because this is what I know. Agreement precedes anointment. Getting in agreement with someone will always precede your anointment. When we line up, or maybe if you want anointment, get in alignment. (laughs) You see, no matter how much I want to pour something out, if it's not in alignment with the container it's meant to go into, it won't fill it up. It doesn't matter how big it is. I could, we could pull out our, like, um, our thing out there, whatever, you know, the tub, the big tub. I could, pour, I could pull out the big tub, and it's huge, and have a little bottle, but if I'm not aligned with it, it won't fill up. And our choice, our decision needs to be to move ourselves into alignment. He said, I've got to align with you that where you're walking, I'm going to walk too. That even though you're going to all these different stops, which we're going to look at in a minute, that even though it it doesn't even really make sense to me to where you're going, I'm going to be in agreement. And I'm going to be in alignment. And I'm going to say, well, if you're walking that way, I'm going to walk that way. Not I'm going to walk that way and then let you know all the other ways that you could walk. No. I'm just going to get in alignment and I'm going to get in agreement because I know that my anointing is attached to, my, to agreement. It's like I was talking about division last week. You can't have two visions and be in alignment. You can't have two visions and have anointment. It just doesn't work. So they go to Gilgal. Gilgal. 
great name. Gilgal was important. Gilgal was the place where the manna ceased for the Israelites. So when the Israelites made it through, you know, their wanderings of Egypt, and manna was the place, uh, Gilgal was the place where the manna stopped. Gilgal was the place where God said, okay, I need you, I need you now to get out of this kind of I'm supplying all your needs into this wilderness living. Gilgal was the place where God said, okay, now I need you to start sowing and raping. Now I need you to be planting and plowing. This is the place of Gilgal. And the interesting thing is that even for manna, was that they weren't starving. They were just grumbling. They just wanted better from God. He was providing. They just weren't happy with it. They just wanted like steak to fall out of the sky or something. I don't know. Probably steak and lobster. You know, they had, as they say, they had champagne taste on a beer budget. They wanted God to provide. And so God said, okay, if you want me to provide, I'm going to give you manna. And manna was just this like disky thing that fell on the ground. And it says that no matter how much someone collected, he never had too much. And no matter how much, how little they collected, they never ran out. So God provided. But do you know what the word manna means? The word manna... This is so Israelites. The word manna means, what is it? So God provides manna. They say, God, I want you to provide. And God provides. And they say, well, what's that? That's not what we wanted. We wanted the steak. And we wanted the lobsters to fall out of the sky. What is that? And sometimes I feel like God provides for us. And we go, what's that? But just because you don't get blessed the way you wanted to get blessed doesn't mean that you weren't blessed. And we go, what's that? God, I need more money. And then your boss comes and says, can I work out overtime? And you go, oh no, I live a, li- I live a busy life. I've got places to be. What's that? That's not what I wanted, God. I wanted a check to arrive. I wanted to win lotto. But God blesses us and we go, what's that? Or we pray these prayers and God says, I want you, for instance, God, I want you to bless that person. And we go, what's that now? Uh, what? <laughs> and that's where we see. But that was the place where the manna stopped. But really, it's funny because God always seems to put blessings in uncomfortable places. God comes and says, I want you to be a nation. And you say, but we're barren. What's that? What is that? You want me to be a nation? What's that? Well, God says, I'm anointing you to be king. And in the mid- and before you is Goliath. What's that? What's that, God? And that's where we question. But God calls us to live by faith and not by sight. So God doesn't need to put his blessings all over the floor for you to see. We need to get to a place where we just live by faith and not by sight. Where we say, God, I know that your principles are that as I plant, I will reap. As I, you know, as a plant, I will sow. As a, if I follow your principles, 
That's what I'll say. I don't need to see it just thrown on the floor everywhere. And I put this because the heart regulates sowing and reaping. Then they go from Gilgal, they move on to Bethel. (laughs) Bethel was the place where Jacob held on. (laughs) Sometimes when God's calling us to there, it takes for us to hold on and not let go. It's a bit of a wrestle getting from here to there sometimes. Kind of reminds me of the story of Peter in the midst of the storm when everyone else was saying, it's a ghost. But Jesus was able to speak and say, take heart, it's, don't be afraid. You know, sometimes we need to get to a point where we're more aware of his presence than we are of the problem. See, because Paul had to write to Timothy and saying, God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. Like, fear will always exaggerate what you don't have but the Spirit unlocks what you have access to. So in the midst of this storm, Peter stands there because it says, fear made them cry out, it's a ghost. And sometimes in the midst of going from here to there, fear can get a grip of you, and fear can make you do things that you never thought you would do. Fear will make you say things that you never thought you would say. When you're in that doctor's office, it's fear that makes you say something. When you're in the, when your spouse says something, can fear makes you say, or your boss says something, and fear makes sure that that bill arrives, and fear makes you say things that you never thought you would say, and fear makes you think thoughts that you never thought that you would think. So the disciples are all freaking out in that boat, because here's what I also know is that who you're in the boat with matters. And Peter's sitting in the boat watching everybody else freak out. And he's thinking, no, but this doesn't align with what I know. I've got to move from sight and live by faith. So the storm's raging, but I know his presence and it's greater than a storm. And so Peter looks around the boat and he says, this is not where I'm meant to be. I'm out in a lake, in a boat, in a storm, but all I know is this boat is not where I'm meant to be. And no matter how great the storm looks, sometimes we need to just say, hey, this is not where I'm meant to be. That no matter what fear is telling me, sometimes we need to just be like, no, but this is not where I'm meant to be. No matter how crazy it seems, we need to say, hey, this is not where it's meant to be. See, because Peter had already seen a miracle on the side of a boat before. That when they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing, Jesus said, try the other side of the boat. And they threw the net on the other side. And that's when they got a great number of fish. So Peter sitting in the boat says, this is not where I'm meant to be. And I've seen you do a miracle on the side of the boat. And I know you can do it again. Like we're singing about. I know that you can make a way. That even though I feel trapped here by fear, you can make a way. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And what I love about this is that he wasn't looking for a revelation. He was looking for confirmation. 
he already knew who God was. He was saying, Jesus, if that's you, if that's you, it was like everything that he had experienced in the past few years was now piling up. That he knew that who he was, he'd seen Jesus move, he knew Jesus close enough and he knew that in a boat with fear wasn't the right place for him before. And even if Jesus was out in the middle of a lake, then that was the place he was meant to be. And he didn't need a revelation on the edge of that boat of who Jesus was. He just needed confirmation that it was the right one. And that was who he says. And he says, Jesus, if that's you, if it's you who I know that you are, if you are who you say that you are, if you are the miracle worker, if you are the one that I can trust, if you are the Messiah, if you are God, then you just tell me to come. And Jesus says, come, and he steps. Because he's not waiting for a revelation. He's got it. He just wanted confirmation. And he can step straight out of that boat, knowing that, yeah, that is who you say that you are. It is who that you said you are. You see, you can't walk water on someone else's revelation. You can't get out of the boat on someone else's revelation. It took Peter's revelation of knowing who Jesus was. It took Peter knowing who he could trust, who he could rely on, who he could believe in, who he knew about, who he knew the character of, who he had interacted with. It took all of that for Peter to get out and to step into his uncomfortable place because the heart regulates revelation. Gilgal, Bethel, then they went to Jericho. Jericho teaches that the fight that we fight isn't physical but spiritual. Ephesians 6.12 says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark and against evil spirits. See, the, the, the solution that God has for us isn't always seen. And 40 years the Israelites wandered. They made seamlessly endless mistakes. They were off track, constantly, out of alignment, all the time. And years of doing it their way was finally laid down when they crossed in the promised land. And God's way to transition them out of years of defeats to a new season of victories was that he said this, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none went in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. See. See. We don't live by sight of faith, but God tells us to see. See. See that I've already done it. See what I've already said. See what my word says about what I'm going to do. Just see it. See it? See it. The tense of that Hebrew word is basically prophetic. It's just this, I have given. God's saying, see what I have given you. As you walk through this time, as you get from here to there, know what I've already given you. See it. See it. It's describing a future action as if it was already accomplished. See What's God asked you to see that you've let go of, that you've put up your, I don't want want to look at that. But God's calling us, hey, see what I've already done. See what I've already called you to. 
See where you're going. See what I've already done. You see, we want God to move quick because we don't want to go through all the stuff. We don't want the battles. We don't want the lows. We don't want the scars. We don't want the mistakes and restored and the sickness and the healed and the lost and the found, destroyed and the rebuilt. But it's through these moments that we are molded and created into the people that we were called to be. It's in that process that we get molded from the here people to the there people. And it's on a journey, walking with those with us, walking in alignment with those above us that get us there. Put. And perhaps all we need to go through the, process, through the process of time is to get to the place that God has in store for us. Because you're not always meant to be here. God will be calling you there. It says, on the seventh day, on the seventh time around the city, the people shouted and the walls fell down and, fell down and they were given Jericho because the heart regulates faith. And then they went to Jordan I've got to start the wrap-up, so here we go. Uh, we went to Jordan. And Elijah says, if you see me, he says, what do you want? What do you need? And if you see me, it'll done. Because heart regulates vision. And as we're walking in alignment start getting the vision for those that have gone before us. We start seeing what's before us and our heart aligns with that. It says, and he says, what do you want? What do you want? And Elisha had just witnessed Elisha take off his cloak and crack into the water. And the rivers opened and they walked on dry land. You see, and he says, what do you want? Because the question is, do you want my coat? Do you want the method? Do you want the like the three quick steps for getting from here to there? Or do you want the anointing that it takes to get from here to there? Do you want the unseen that it takes to get from here to there? Because we get caught on the coat. We get caught on the ways. Oh, if we just do two fast songs and one slow song. That's the way. Like we get caught on the method. If we just have the right lights, if we just position the chairs correctly, if we just show the right slides, if we just have the right social media, that will get us from here to there. So Elisha said, what do you want? Your anointing, the spirit that's on you, the power of God that has flowed through you. I want double. Prideful. As there. But it's not, but I realize it's not pride. It's a necessity. Because what those that went for us walk through nothing about on what we're about to walk through and like Jesus said greater things that you will do than I did it's a necessity that we have more anointing than what they had 
It's a necessity that I spend more time in the presence of God than those that went before me. Because this is a changing world that's only getting rougher and tougher and harder to reach. And maybe that amount of annoying isn't enough for what needed over here. So it's like, I don't need a method. I don't need some tips. I don't need some life hacks. I don't need to watch a TikTok video and getting from here to there. I need more anointing. I need more presence of God. I need need to find God while I'm over here. Thank God, help me get to there. Because it's not a straight out, well laid path. It's going to take me hearing your voice and knowing that when the time comes that I'm ready and I'm willing and I'm ready to go to there and that when I go there that people can celebrate that I'm going there. Want double of your spirit because alignment allows transfer. And as my plan myself here, I said, God, you can transfer into me because I'm staying here. I've got a heart for here until I'm meant to be there. And you can go through scripture and you can see that Elijah did 14 miracles in his life. But God is so faithful. And that when it seems audacious, And it seems prideful. And it seems like your vision is way too big. And you say, God, I see everything that you did here. But when we get there, can you do double? I see all the lives that have been changed here. But maybe over there, we can be double. I can see the people that have reached, the people that have been healed. God, can we have double over there? I've seen the people whose lives were changed and restored. But when we get there, can I see double? We need double. We need more. God, we just need you to pour out more than you've poured out before. I need your spirit to fall more than it's poured out before. And when Elisha did 14, Elisha did 28 miracles. Because he's faithful. Because he is faithful. So this morning I end with this question. What is your heart regulating? Is it holding or is it sowing? Is your heart regulating information or is your heart regulating revelation? Is your heart regulating fear or is your heart regulating faith? Is your heart regulating division or is your heart regulating vision? What is your heart regulating? That's the question. And I hope through this series that we can get that our heart is regulating for his house. His heart, our hearts are regulating for his presence. And God, if we can just get a hold of your heartbeat, that we can do all that we're meant to do here. God, that you'll regulate and pull our hearts over to there. Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.